Let us open God's word that he would teach us. Our scripture reading will come from three places in the New Testament. First in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, just a few verses there, verses 36 through 41. This is in connection with the, the Lord's Day, which gives us baptism as the topic for this afternoon. And so we read, beginning at the at verse 36, which is the end of Peter's sermon that he preached to the Jews gathered in Jerusalem. He says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, this is Christ, both, or this is Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and, all, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Jumping forward then to chapter 19, Acts 19. We'll read verses 1 through 7. Acts 19, verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about twelve men in all. Finally, then, let's turn to the first letter of Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. First Peter 3, verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, 
but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. So far, the word of God. As we reflect on what we've read, let's sing together from Psalm 77, verses 5 through 7. Every Lord's Day in the afternoon, we turn to the Heidelberg Catechism as a summary of the Christian faith, and we take that as our starting point to study what Scripture teaches about the, the essential doctrines of the Christian faith. This afternoon, we find ourselves in Lord's Day 26, that's on page 540 of your books of praise. And this concerns the sacrament of baptism. There the question is, how does holy baptism signify and seal to you that the one sacrifice of of Christ on the cross benefits you? In this way, Christ instituted this outward washing, and with it gave the promise that as surely as water washes away the dirt from the body, so certainly his blood and spirit wash away the impurity of my soul, that is, all my sins." What does it mean to be washed with Christ's blood and spirit? To be washed with Christ's blood means to receive forgiveness of sins from God through grace because of Christ's blood poured out for us in his sacrifice on the cross. To be washed with Christ's spirit means to be renewed by the Holy Spirit and sanctified to be members of Christ so that more and more we become dead to sin and lead a holy and blameless life. Whereas Christ promised that he will wash us with his blood and spirit as surely as we are washed with the water of baptism. In the institution of baptism, where he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. This promise is repeated where Scripture calls baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins. So far from the Heidelberg Catechism. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, last week we began, or two weeks ago, we began a series on the, of sermons on the sacraments of the Christian church, the, the sacred rituals that happen within the, the church that were instituted by Christ for all believers. That's what the sacraments are. And last week, the focus was was just on the concept of sacraments in general. Many Christians are unfamiliar with them. Even Christians that have been Christians for a long time are often unsure what to, to make of them. And so that was our focus last week. This week, we're narrowing in on the sacrament of baptism. And we want to ask, what does this sacrament mean That's the first question. And secondly, what, if anything, does it do? And finally, what significance does it have 
in the Christian's life. The reason we want to look at these questions is because the ritual of baptism seems to have always been vulnerable to some level of superstition in the Christian church. Right since the the days of the early church, there were people that treated baptism superstitiously. For example, there there were some who, if they had a newborn child who was dying uh, or very sick, they would request an emergency baptism to make sure that that child was baptized before it passed away, believing that somehow that baptism would would make sure that the child was saved. That's a, a superstitious view of baptism. Uh, rooted in that same idea, there, there were others who would, would actually delay their baptism because they believed that in baptism God washes away all the sins of your life. And so, uh, logically, then it makes no sense to get baptized early. You should get baptized at the end of your life and then all your sins are, are washed away. Uh, and so there were also Christians that, that delayed baptism right until the very end. The Emperor Constantine was, was one such example. Both of those are superstitious views of baptism, and most of us sense that there's something wrong with those views of baptism. What they end up doing is treating baptism as a tool by which you can manipulate God to either force Him to save you or force Him to to wipe away an account of a lifetime worth of sins. It's a wrong way of thinking about God's grace. In this church, we recognize baptism is a sign of God's grace. It doesn't magically deliver God's grace all by itself. Having said that, we shouldn't now react to the opposite direction and say that, therefore, baptism itself doesn't really matter, and all that matters is God's grace. There are some, perhaps, in our midst who have a tendency to react in that direction that say baptism doesn't even really matter. It doesn't matter whether you get baptized or not. And we say that what matters is is faith and and believing the gospel. And baptism is really just a ceremony. It's it's kind of irrelevant to our salvation. Well, if that's what we're inclined to think, we need to consider again the words of the Lord Jesus, which we read in in the catechism in Matthew 28, Uh, In his commission to the disciples, his very last charge to his disciples while still on earth was, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the Lord Jesus himself considered baptism at least important enough that every Christian should receive it. That was his command for the disciples. It's difficult to explain the meaning of baptism straight from Scripture. And the reason for that is there are many passages in Scripture that, that speak of baptism, but there are very few that delve deeply into its meaning. And there are none that explain the whole thing in, in detail. In that way, it's different from the Lord's Supper, uh, which has several texts that, that are focused on explaining its meaning, especially in in the letters to the Corinthians. And that's, that's maybe surprising that baptism then gets so little explanation, considering how important it was, uh, how important it was even to Christ that all people be baptized, and how important it was always in the early church as well. Uh, right from the beginning, baptism was seen as the marker for the entrance into 
the church. We can see that in Acts 2, for example. Peter preached the gospel and called people to repent and be baptized. And when they did, it said 3,000 souls were added to the church. So baptism is the, the formal adding of someone to the church. But we can certainly piece together from all these different verses, we can piece together uh, a coherent picture of the meaning of baptism as intended by the Lord Jesus. The very first mention of baptism that you find is not actually Christian baptism, but the baptism of John, John the Baptist. Now, we don't know if that was the first ever incident of, of baptism in, in, the, in the Jewish uh, religion. It's possible there were others who, who baptized before John, but there's certainly no definitive uh, evidence of that. Uh, there are records of Gentile converts to Judaism that would be baptized, but even then it, it looks like that was likely a practice that started after John the Baptist, or at least uh, during that time. And so the first baptism we read about in Scripture is with John the Baptizer, or John the Baptist, as we often call him. And so we can take that then as sort of our starting point for working out the meaning of baptism. It's interesting that in John's day, there was a lot of debate about whether it was even legitimate for John to baptize. The people accepted his baptism as something from God, but the Pharisees didn't. They had a problem with this. They said this wasn't commanded by God and didn't help that, that John was going around calling them a brood of viper and vipers and, and hypocrites and, and so forth. So they already didn't like John, and they considered his baptism an illegitimate practice. Nevertheless, the people accepted it. With John, the meaning of, of baptism was pretty straightforward. It was a sign and symbol of repentance and, and being washed of one's sins. Mark 1 Verse 4 says, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So that was John's baptism. There's several places in Scripture where that's what it's called, the baptism of repentance. And in that way, it reminds you of some of the ceremonial washings of the Old Testament, except that in this case, it wasn't uncleanness, ceremonial uncleanness that was being washed away, but one's sins, the uncleanness of, of people's hearts. And maybe that's why there is so little explanation behind John's baptism, is the symbolism was pretty straightforward. People understood what it meant. He called people to repentance, and when they did, they would be washed, and everyone understood this is a, a washing of their sins. It, coming then to John would be like a visible way of saying, I repent of my sins, and I acknowledge that I need to be washed. But now it's good for us to recognize that the meaning of Christian baptism is not exactly the same as the meaning of John's baptism. That's what you see in Acts 19. It's a pretty unfamiliar text, uh, despite being in the New Testament. Not, not many people uh, remember this, this occasion where Paul, or, uh, uh, yeah, Paul uh, met a group of believers who had been baptized by John, but had never been baptized in the name of Jesus. And, and that phrase is, is very important. Baptism in the name of Jesus. Christian baptism is not the same thing as the baptism of John. It's, 
it's more than just a sign of repentance and of being washed. So, so these people had already repented. They had already been washed. And yet they still lacked something which was to be baptized in the name of Jesus. And so this tells us Christian baptism is not simply a baptism of repentance. Uh, this is where many uh, Baptists misunderstand baptism because they take John the Baptist as their starting point, and they see that was a baptism of repentance. Uh, and so they argue that Christian baptism must mean the same thing. But, but there is a difference, and the difference is this. Christian baptism is baptism into a name. Uh, that wasn't the case with John. When we are baptized as Christians, we're baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Uh, and that's what makes Christian baptism different from John's baptism. Christian baptism is about having a new identity, a new name. It's not simply an act of repentance. It's an act of Christ claiming us as his own. And so when the Lord Jesus commanded his disciples to baptize, he, he specifically commanded them to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's also why it's important that Christian churches around the world do this. There are, there are many churches that then simply baptize in the name of the Spirit or simply in the name of, of Jesus. But the command that Jesus himself gave is, is a Trinitarian baptism. We're baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And, and so we see that there's, there's more going on than just the baptism of John. It's a sign of a new identity. It does mean, like, like John's baptism, it's a washing of sins, but it's also a receiving a new identity in Christ's name. And that's what you see very clearly here in, in Acts 19. These, these believers had received John's baptism, but they had not yet received the name of Christ. And that, for Paul, was reason enough for them to be baptized all over again, this time in the name of Christ. So this, then, is what baptism is all about. It's being washed of our sins and being claimed by Christ as someone who belongs to him. So we can take that definition then as our, as our starting point as we then look at some of the implications. I mentioned last week the, the analogy of a wedding ring for, for, for sacraments. It's a helpful analogy for thinking about sacraments because it's a sign of a marriage commitment. And it's also a, a seal, an assurance of, of commitment. With baptism, another helpful analogy is perhaps the changing of a last name. That happens in a marriage. Uh, typically, the bride takes on her husband's name. And, and then she becomes, in a very real sense, she becomes a new person. She's no longer the person that she used to be. The same is the case with baptism. When we're baptized into the name of Jesus, we take on his name. We, it's as if he, his last name becomes our last name. It's Christ's way of saying then, this person, whether it's an adult or a child, this person belongs to me. They, they bear my name. And so baptism carries with that that twofold significance. There's, there's, there is symbolism of repentance and, and being washed, but there's also a formal uniting with Christ, a belonging to Christ. We're baptized into his name. 
You can see this again in, in Peter's command at, at Pentecost, where he told the, the, Jews, the Jews there, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When, when someone is baptized into the church, they're baptized uh, into Christ, and, and it's because of Christ then that they receive forgiveness of sins and the Holy Spirit. They're brought together. They're united with Christ. And so when Jesus then gave the Great Commission to, to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, he gave baptism as the sign by which, uh, by which he declares that they belong to him. And that's what baptism then is all about. Whether you're baptized as an infant or as, as an adult, your baptism means and shows that you belong to Christ, that Christ claims you as his own. And as such, then, every gift that Christ has to give, forgiveness of sins, the Holy Spirit, everlasting life, they are yours. They belong to you. Here's then where baptism becomes very practical in, in the Christian life. When you fall into sin or when you question whether you're really a believer or if you feel that God is angry with you or God is against you, you can rightly look to your baptism and find assurance there. Your baptism means that you belong to Christ. Now, some of us are, are uncomfortable with that reasoning because we think, well, aren't, aren't there many people in the church that are baptized and then they don't live like Christians and they ultimately fall away? And so if, if that's true, then does baptism really mean that we belong to Christ? It's true. There are those who are baptized and then ultimately fall away. But we should never conclude from that that therefore they never really belonged to Christ, as if, as if Christ never really meant his promises. This is where many Christians and many Reformed Christians go wrong. Uh, they think that, that sometimes Jesus means it when he baptizes people, and other times he doesn't really mean it. And who's to say whether he really meant it for me? No, they belong if you are baptized, you belong to Christ. He has claimed you for himself, and he means it. He, that, that's true for every single individual who is baptized. He means that claim. And that means that everything that there is to offer in Christ is theirs. Salvation is theirs. Eternal life does belong to them for every individual that's baptized. It is yours and it is yours to keep. The problem with these individuals is that they choose not to keep it. They choose to walk away from it and to throw it away. Now, that doesn't make Christ's promise any less sincere. It just means they rejected that promise themselves. What this means is we have a responsibility to receive Christ's claim in faith and, and to respond to it. Now, I'm emphasizing this because we need to know this 
for our comfort and our assurance, especially when we do have those times when we wonder, does God really love me? Do I really belong to Christ? If you have been baptized, the answer is yes, you do belong to Christ. He has claimed you for himself. Uh, that doesn't mean we want to start thinking about baptism in terms of some, some sort of mystical guarantee of salvation. No, it's not a guarantee of salvation. It's a commitment from God to, to give us the gospel. And, and if we end up thinking about baptism in terms of a, a, an automatic guarantee, then we'll, we'll inevitably have to conclude that sometimes God means it and sometimes God doesn't. I warn you, don't fall into that trap, thinking about baptism in that way. There are many who do make that mistake. When you are baptized, you need to know this, you are baptized into Christ. You do belong to him. That's true regardless of the condition of your heart. When people walk away, it isn't because Christ never really meant his promises, it's because they decided they didn't want those promises. Don't let the the unbelief of others rob you of the sincerity of Christ's promise to you. It's true, baptism is not a magic uh, ceremony that automatically guarantees that you will persevere to the end and be saved. No, you need to respond in faith, but Baptism is, is, is God's sign that you belong to him, that salvation is yours. And, and that's the very reason why you shouldn't walk away from it. What this means for us is that in those times when we do struggle with our faith, when we do really wonder whether we belong to Christ or whether salvation is really ours, we can look to our baptism and find comfort and reassurance there. Now, of course, we still need to examine our hearts. We still need to know if the fruits of faith are, are evident in our life. In, in our life. And, and baptism isn't proof that you're a believer. It isn't proof that, that you have faith. Your life will show the evidence for that. But baptism is proof that God is not holding himself at a distance from you. God is not uh, making insincere promises to you. He has put his claim on you, and he genuinely desires your faith and your repentance. Your baptism is meant to be a reminder of that unconditional love from God. Let me once more use the the analogy of a marriage to illustrate this. Uh, In a wedding, a husband and wife make a commitment to one another, a commitment that says, till death do us part. And we understand that commitments like that are, are far, far greater, far more weighty than just a contract. A contract is, I will love you if you will love me. That's not a marriage commitment. A, com- a marriage commitment is, I will love you till death do us part. Uh, there, there's an unconditional nature to a marriage commitment. Uh, but we still understand that there is a difference between a commitment and a guarantee. 
a, commit, a commitment in marriage is not a guarantee that everything will ultimately work out. A wife might be entirely committed to her husband, till death do us part, and yet if there is a persistent walking away, uh, and if the husband refuses to be faithful, there will be a breaking point in that marriage. That marriage will not last. That's the difference between a commitment and a guarantee. We need to understand our, our baptism is God's commitment to us. It's not a guarantee that, that we will never walk away from Him. And, and so in baptism, we do need to hear God's commitments to us. Uh, listen again to, to Peter in Acts 2, verse 38. He says, Again, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's, there's a promise there. there. There's a commitment on God's behalf. If you, are, if you repent and you are baptized, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But neither of those promises should be read as, as, as an irreversible guarantee of salvation. They are real commitments made by God and made to all of those who are baptized. God, God means His promise sincerely but we still bear responsibility for walking in, in light of those uh, commitments from God. And so what happens when we start to think of our baptism in terms of, of a guarantee is that we will, we will either wrongly assume that everyone who's baptized is saved, uh, which is certainly not the case, and there's plenty of scripture evidence to, to back that up, or we will conclude that God only means his promises to some people and not to others. And then if someone does fall away from the Lord, then, then we conclude that, well, God must not really have meant it when he, when he gave his promises to them. What we forget is that God made us into responsible human beings. And, and covenant commitments always demand a faithful response. That's true in marriage, and it's true with respect to our covenant with God. It's wrong for us to put the blame on God when, when that covenant uh, is broken. As Paul says, let God be true and every man a liar. And, and so when someone walks away from God's commitments to them, it's not because God didn't mean his promises. No, he meant them, and he still means them if they re- repent and return. Salvation was theirs. It did belong to them. Uh, the Holy Spirit was also theirs. He was given to them. Everything that Christ had was theirs. It was they that threw their salvation away, resisted the Spirit, and ultimately rejected Christ. We need to understand where the responsibility lies and not start shifting the blame to God. Uh, perhaps one of the reasons we tend to do this is because we, we confuse election God's doctrine of election and covenant, which, which baptism is a matter of covenant. Uh, we know that God causes all things to work according to, to his will, and those whom he chooses will believe, and, and so forth. Scripture does teach those things, and, and we, we acknowledge that. But you and I are never going to be able to fully wrap our minds around that. Uh, the right response to that is simply praise to God when we do believe, recognizing that our faith came from Him, and, and fear of God for those who, whom He passes over. That's the one doctrine. Let's not mix that up with the doctrine of, of the covenant. Uh, 
that happens if we, if we ultimately say, well, if, God, if someone falls away, then it must be God's fault for, for leading them to fall away. And therefore, God never meant his promises. No, salvation was theirs. It was their responsibility to respond in faith. And if they didn't, it is their fault when they fall away. I emphasize this because there are even entire federations of churches that get this matter wrong. It's one of the, the big differences between us and the Protestant Reformed churches who do mix these, uh, these two doctrines together. And, and they argue that, that there's an inner covenant and an outer covenant. And when you're baptized, uh, you're baptized maybe into the outer covenant, maybe into the inner covenant. But you never really know uh, whether someone is baptized into the inner one or the outer one. And it makes God's promises so, so complex and mysterious and inaccessible for the average Christian. When God gives us his promises, he means them. He gives them to us so that we would hold on to them. And if we walk away from them, that's not God's fault for, for not really meaning it. It's our fault for not embracing it. And so we need to know when God makes his promises, we are the ones responsible for receiving them and, and responding to them. It is entirely possible to walk away from your salvation, to walk away from God's grace. But that never happens by accident. It never, it never happens outside of someone's own will. When people walk away, they do so because they choose to do so. And that should never give us cause to be afraid that God might lead us to walk away. That's not the way that God works. This is why Scripture speaks about baptism then in such strong, plain, and simple terms. You, you think of uh, Peter 3, which we read together, and Peter compares baptism to, to the event of Noah, Noah's ark and how Noah and his family were on the ark. And Peter says that baptism corresponds to that. And, and then he says in, in plain, simple language, baptism now saves you. I think there are probably many of us who would be uncomfortable with that language. Or Peter says baptism saves you. But Peter's point is, your baptism, which has brought you into, church, into the church and brought you into the name of Christ, your baptism will ultimately lead you to the other shore. It will lead you to your salvation. If you're on the ark, you are saved. That doesn't mean you can't jump off the ark. Uh, and and if, some, if one of Noah's family had done so, they, they obviously would have perished. But if you're on the ark, you are saved. And the same is true of baptism. If you are baptized, you are saved. It doesn't mean you can't walk away from that, but it means that salvation is yours. And God gives that to us for our comfort and our encouragement. We don't need to ask, am I really saved? Uh, we, we do need to ask, do I really believe? And we can look at our life and examine our hearts and, and, and look for the fruits but we don't need to ask, uh, am I really saved? If you are baptized, you are saved. What you do with that salvation is your responsibility. And of course, in saying that, I don't mean it's, it's without God's strength. But it is our fault if we do ultimately walk away. And it never happens outside of our own choosing. So these things are meant for our comfort and for our encouragement. And so the, the charge for us then, as we reflect on this, is if God has given us his promises and God will not change, he is faithful, 
then let us also not change. Let us not throw away the salvation that God has given to us. He has adopted us as his children, and that means you are his children. And that means when he speaks as his children, we ought to listen. When he rebukes us, uh, let's humble ourselves and let's listen to his rebuke. Let's confess our sins when he calls us to and turn back to him when he calls us to. And let's never stop seeking him or turning to his word or sitting under his word because he has made us his own. We bear his name. We belong to him. And that means everything he promises us in his word is ours. Hold on to that. Take comfort in that and praise him for that. It's one of the many reasons we saw this morning why we can rejoice. Because we know that these things are true and God means them for all of us. Amen. Let's respond by singing together from hymn 77.